Governor Mike Parson delivered his third State of the State speech on Wednesday, an address that focused on many of his policy priorities and how his administration tackled the COVID-19 pandemic. 2020 was filled with countless struggles, but each day these individuals showed up and met the challenges with grit, strength, and determination. But the speech itself was a source of controversy and logistical confusion. Instead of being delivered in the House, Parson made his address in the Senate chamber. And some Democrats believe it was a mistake to hold the event in person when a number of lawmakers contracted the virus over the past few weeks. So on the latest episode of Politically Speaking, St. Louis Public Radio's Jacqueline Driscoll joins me to take a closer look at Parson's speech and whether Missouri lawmakers are taking the COVID-19 crisis seriously. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that, that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio's political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me today is St. Louis Public Radio's Statehouse reporter. Jacqueline Driscoll. And Jacqueline and I are going to break down Governor Mike Parson's third State of the State address. Both of us were in Jefferson City on Wednesday to see this speech. It was a surreal experience because the speech was delivered at the last minute in the Senate as opposed to the House, which we're going to talk about in the second part of the show. But both Jacqueline and I agreed that we should spend the first part talking about what was actually in the speech because... In my opinion, there were a number of actual policy items that will have a pretty significant impact on Missourians throughout the next few years or decades, which I know sounds kind of hyperbolic, but I don't think it will be once we start talking about this further. Uh, Jacqueline, what was if you had to describe Parson's speech to someone who didn't watch it and and what the, the main highlights were, how would you do that? I think um, overall, it was a really positive speech, which obviously we expect from the state of the state address. Um, We expect the governor to give a highlight reel of what he's done, what he wants to do in the future. But also just after a really tough year um, with the pandemic, um, he didn't get as many of his priorities passed in the legislative session because it was upended by coronavirus. And then We had those special legislative sessions that not everything got done, but overall, he was just, he, it, it, it was really positive. And I thought um, he did a good job of introducing some um, important programs, as you mentioned, that will be fundamental for Missouri. And um, I didn't make it to the budget briefing because of the snowstorm that his administration gave with um, reporters. You did, Jason. So it was really interesting to me to see how many programs he wanted to institute and how much money he wanted to give to certain programs because, you know, it's been my understanding that we're in a tough financial situation due to the pandemic. Um, But 
I don't know, that state of the state address made me feel like maybe we do have some money for things, which was honestly kind of nice to hear. Um, but what were some of your takeaways specifically from the budget um, that you were interested in, in um, hearing about? Well, one of the things that I found really interesting was I also assume that this is going to be a difficult budgetary year for the state. The economy is not in great shape. There's a lot of people who are unemployed. And I don't know when things are going to turn around. Like, hopefully, once the vaccine becomes more widely available, my hope would be that the economy explodes on a level of like the roaring 20s without obviously, you know, the stock market crash at the end. But some of the big takeaways from that budget briefing were like CARES Act money has been used to basically supplant general revenue that went to a bunch of different state agencies. So that saved a bunch of money. The other interesting thing is that in the 2021 fiscal year, there's been two income tax filing dates because the income tax filing in 2020 got moved to July 15th, which is after the, the end of that prior fiscal year, you have that filing date, and then you're going to have the income tax filing date in April. So there's more income tax that is going to be coming in during the specific time period than usual. Um, and yeah, that's led to like a bunch of different spending items, whether it be money for state parks or money for facilities, um, money for job training programs. And as Parson explained in this clip, he's also going to try to be more serious about early childhood education by creating an entirely new agency to deal with that issue. To help strengthen Missouri's early childhood system, we're excited to propose the consolidation of several different programs and divisions across three state agencies into one new office, the Office of Childhood. This new office will not only help streamline the operation of several state programs, but also allow us to place a bigger focus on early childhood development. So, but I think that those were notable budgetary things, but I think out of everything he talked about in his speech, even though this was not a major part of his speech, I think he devoted maybe 45 seconds to a minute when he announced that Medicaid expansion was coming. And he doesn't really have a choice on this because it was done by constitutional amendment. This will probably be the biggest policy item that Parson does in his entire gubernatorial administration. And Jacqueline, you've spent a lot of time uh, looking over the issue of Medicaid expansion and this constitutional amendment. Just explain what is going to happen when Medicaid expansion is actually implemented. Well, there's going to be a lot more people eligible for Medicaid, Medicaid coverage, um, expanding it primarily to single adults, um, which obviously wasn't something that Republicans were in support of in the state. As many Missourians know, this has been a years-long effort to try to get Medicaid expansion passed. Governor Mike Parson also was not a fan of the idea in his last State of the State address in 2020. Excuse me, he said this would be a massive tax increase that Missouri just couldn't afford. And he did. He does have some um, numbers in the budget briefing book that he gave. Um, he gave the number that it, it's going to cost 1.9 billion dollars. Um, as you see this move through the legislature, I think it's going to be almost expected to see things like work requirements, um, something to try to make it more affordable for the state um, because conservatives say that it is going to be a big cost um, 
and it, we're going to have to find the money somewhere to pay for it. But the governor was very clear in his message yesterday that he wants to ensure that Missouri implements it because the voters approved it. Um, now, in talking with some conservatives, I think that they are, um, we may hear discussion that, you know, uh, there was no funding stream or funding source attached to the constitutional amendment, so they don't have to implement it. But I think that um, we heard yesterday, as you mentioned, it, it was short and Parson has said this before, but this is a much wider audience that he intends to ensure the legislature puts this in place. Um, although uh, Democrats were in support of Medicaid expansion, they also do recognize that there is going to be some initial cost. Um, and I, I believe that you spoke with House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid, um, and they the, the Democrats recognize that the Medicaid program isn't exactly perfect in Missouri, and they do want to find some ways to cut down on costs or ensure that the process is a little bit more streamlined. Um, so I think that you're going to see a lot of discussion around that. But when it comes to subsequent years, that's where I would challenge that question, because every study that I have seen and all the discussions that we have had is we will start seeing cost savings within this fiscal year. And so the, the question is, what do we get to that point? Well, we have this reimbursement money now. And so we are in a wildly different situation than we were just a few months ago. So a little context over what Quaid is saying there. The common uh, argument against Medicaid expansion for many years has been that if you expand Medicaid, even under the auspices of the Affordable Care Act, where the state pays 10% of the cost, you're going to have to use general revenue to cut from other things. This year, that's not going to happen because the federal government is giving more federal funds toward the Medicaid program that will essentially pay for what what uh, the state budget director said was about $120 million of, of state money toward this. See, so that is really interesting. And I'm so mad that uh, Highway 70 was not clear because I would have loved to sit in and listen to that because every discussion I've had is about that upfront cost. So hearing from you that the state budget director says that that's not really going to be an issue this year, um, I mean, that's a total shift uh, for what we have heard for months now, not only from the governor um, saying that this is going to cost money and we're just going to have to find a way to pay for it to, you know, even from the state lawmakers who have who have had serious concerns about how to get it implemented. So, I mean, maybe it won't be as much as a, much of a fight as uh, we expected um, for this legislative session. That's really interesting. Well, I want to shift to COVID because uh, what was notable about Parson talking about the, the pandemic, and I'm about to play a clip of him talking about it, is a lot of, of, of his verbiage was just spent on recounting what his administration has done. And it didn't really provide like a lot of like, okay, this is how we're going to improve the vaccination program, or this is how we're going to you know, improve the COVID response. Here's a, a, a lengthy clip of, that, of an example from that. We have shipped over 22 million gowns, 18 million gloves, 8 million surgical masks, 5 million N95 masks, and 1 million face shields to frontline healthcare providers. We were one of the first states in the nation to submit our COVID-19 vaccine plan and have now administered nearly 400,000 doses to Missourians. Mm -hmm. 
the bottom line is that we have been working day in and day out to fight COVID-19 while also dealing with civil unrest, violent crime, and a difficult budget. Jacqueline, were you surprised he didn't use more of his address to flesh out how the administration's uh, vaccina- vaccination plan is going, especially since there's been all these news articles about how Missouri is lagging, at least for the first shot of the vaccine uh, compared to other states? And I mean, let's not forget that recent data shows that Missouri is literally last in the nation at the percentage of vaccines administered. So no, I was not surprised um, that he didn't talk about that because again, as we mentioned, the state of the state is supposed to be a highlight reel um, and he's supposed to talk about things that he he um, believes his administration is doing well on. I do wish we would have heard more about it because I think this is obviously front and center for a lot of Missourians, for a lot of people. I mean, this is the news story, right? COVID-19 and getting people vaccinated. Um, The administration is holding some briefings with the press. We've had two now to to just kind of sit there with uh, Director Williams uh, with the Department of Health, as well as Rob Dixon, Director Dixon, um, to talk about the implementation of the vaccines and how they're going to get it out to people. But this changes all the time. And I feel like this was a time when we probably should have heard more from our governor because I think people are concerned about that. Well, the one thing he did mention from a policy front, which I wasn't surprised about because he he called a special session about this, was asking the legislature to send him a bill that would shield businesses from COVID-19 related lawsuits. Here is Governor Parson talking about that. And speaking of employers... I hope the first piece of legislation to hit my desk this year is a clean COVID-19 liability protection bill. Missouri businesses, manufacturers, healthcare providers, schools, churches, and many other entities across the state did not hesitate to step up and help their communities in the fight against COVID-19. None of these groups should be penalized for their efforts to help. They must be able to continue serving the public without risk of unnecessary claims. And I look forward to working with the House and the Senate to get this done. Jacqueline, I think that this is a recurring theme for Missouri Democrats. They're in the super minority. They don't really have a huge amount of power to stop things that Parson wants. Is there anything that they can do to influence the shape of this legislation, or is it just kind of fait accompli that what Parson wants is actually going to happen here? Well, I think there's no doubt that we're going to see a COVID-19 liability bill, Um, and it's moving quickly. It's already through committee hearings in the Senate. This is something that they have started working on, as you mentioned, with that special legislative session uh, last year, I believe it was in December. So they already had kind of the framework for what they wanted to do. I know that this is important for House Speaker Rob Vescovo. This is something we talked about um, leading up to session. It's also a priority for leadership in the Senate. Uh, it, as you mentioned, this is something that is concerning to Democrats. They 
are concerned that they're giving businesses uh, too much leeway and we're putting workers at risk. But no, I, I mean, obviously Republicans are in control. They have a super majority in both chambers, but I think there are a lot of, a lot of the Republicans don't wanna give businesses free reign either. They wanna make sure that it's done in a responsible way because COVID-19 is still here. Um, so I think that there's, they've had some really good faith discussions. I, I don't necessarily like that term, kind of like a buzzword, but I do think that they are recognizing that this is going to, this is new, this is uncharted territory and they do have to work together. Uh, but I don't think there's any chance that a COVID-19 liability bill doesn't get through and very quickly. We'll be right back after this quick break with St. Louis Public Radio's Jacqueline Driscoll talking about the state of the state. And we're back on Politically Speaking, where I'm talking with St. Louis Public Radio State House reporter Jacqueline Driscoll about Governor Mike Parson's state of the state. Okay, so we've talked about the issues, which I'm glad we did on the forefront. Let's talk about the drama over the venue, which I think a lot of people in the Capitol were just obsessed with. Um, this speech was given in the Missouri Senate, which was highly unusual. It's always given in the House. It's always given to a joint session of the House and Senate. I have heard lots of conflicting reasons for this from the Senate wasn't going to be able to get a quorum for a joint session to that House leadership just didn't feel comfortable cramming a bunch of people in the House, including senators the statewide officials, Supreme Court judges. I've heard that there was really heated exchanges between Parsons administration and Rob Viscobo over this. So this is all that I've heard. You probably have heard other things too. Like what have you heard about the drama over the venue? Honestly, I mean, the state of the state for political reporters is oftentimes ceremonial. And it's a day that we just kind of know what to expect. We know we need to be there and cover it. And we can focus on his speech. Honestly, because of all of the changes, I was a bit flustered because I didn't know what was going on. And, you know, these are days where you wake up and you're like, okay, we know what we're doing. We get our stories out. Um, so I think that kind of detracted um, some attention away from the governor's speech a little bit. But yes, I heard that. Um, it was heated. I heard uh, some rumors about some actual yelling. Um, so there were some serious disagreements going on um, with Parson and uh, some of the people in the House leadership. Um, when I was in that, the Parsons administration also held a, a briefing with reporters about breaking down the state of the state and, and what the governor would be talking about for his priorities. Um, and this has already been reported by Kurt Erickson in the Post-Dispatch, but um, Governor Parsons spokeswoman Kelly Jones said, when we asked her, why is it not being held in, in the House chamber? She said, I don't know. We were told at 1030 this morning that we were not going to be allowed to give the speech there. Um, she said she doesn't know how COVID could possibly be worse. 
um, on Wednesday than it was on Tuesday. Um, so it did seem that there was some hostility there. Um, it was it was just like really unique and and really a surreal experience to to see the governor walk into the Senate. He didn't have his usual welcoming crew. He was wearing a mask. He walked up the aisles of the Senate. He was fist bumping uh, some of the senators on on the inner aisle there. And the Senate wasn't even, you know, all the seats weren't filled. Um, so it was a very small, slim crowd. And, you know, when when the governor gives a state of the state address, he usually gets like applause um, from those in the chamber standing ovations several times uh, as, as he gives his speech. And it was just like, it was weird. People didn't know when to clap or if they should clap. You'd get like random bits of people kind of clapping. Um, it was just, yeah, it was such a weird day. Such a weird day. There's two takeaways I have from this. First of all, there's clearly hostility between Parson and Viscovo. Viscovo was one of the people that scuttled a potential deal to reconfigure the low-income housing tax credit. And I think that there's a lot of hostility over that. Um, so I think that it's one thing. And I think that's going to be a running storyline that political reporters like you and I are going to be watching over the next couple of years. But the other thing that, you know, one of the people that wasn't there, Senate Minority Leader John Rizzo of Independence said, is having the state of the state done in person was highly questionable when a number of lawmakers have been diagnosed with COVID. Here is Senator Rizzo on that point. These outbreaks are going to continue to happen. We're going to have to continue to work on a skeleton crew or possibly shut down until people are either vaccinated or um, they begin to do all the proper protocols. I mean, it's just, I mean, that's science, right? You're either vaccinated and you don't have, you know, the ability or you have a reduced chance of getting gravely ill or you go through the protocols of wearing masks, social distancing, not sitting in rooms <clears throat> for hours on end. And, and, you know, do the things that you're taught to do by the CDC and science. So, again, the reason Rizzo wasn't there was because he was quarantining because he had been exposed to somebody who was diagnosed with COVID-19. And I think this brings up a larger question of whether a lot of people in the Missouri Capitol are taking COVID-19 seriously. I saw tons of legislators and staff not wearing masks at all yesterday. Some Republicans did, um, but especially given that like people like Senator Andrew Koenig have gotten COVID and former Senator Jim Lemke, who is a staffer for the conservative caucus, has gotten COVID. Is there a sense from people, Jacqueline, that a lot of Republicans are, are not taking COVID seriously in the Capitol and you know, putting people who mill about there at risk. But like the fact that you mentioned that they're not taking COVID seriously, yesterday was honestly one of the best days in terms of recognizing that the virus is here and is present. When the chain, when we gave it, when the House leadership said, we are not holding the state of the state address in the House because of COVID concerns, that was responsible um, because we shouldn't be packing both chambers into one chamber, into the House chamber. But yes, the fact that lawmakers are not wearing masks, some outright refuse to wear masks and, and have never, um, 
even earlier on when we didn't know much about the virus and, and people and lawmakers came back to work on the budget, sitting in committee hearings with witnesses, not wearing masks, and even some, you know, Democrats, they wear masks and they are quick to say that we need to be taking COVID seriously. But I see that on, on, on the day that they were sworn in, I saw Democrats hugging one another with masks on. And it just, I mean, it, it's just such a surreal place to walk into the Capitol and it, you almost forget COVID is real. And I am, I'll, I'll be as <laughs> transparent as possible. I, I contracted COVID, I'm just getting over it. I don't know where I got it. I mean, there's a good chance that I could have gotten it in the Capitol, but I don't know. Um, so it, it's wild that that was, um, something that you saw yesterday, recognizing that COVID-19 doesn't necessarily seem like it's a priority for some lawmakers, because to me, yesterday, that was the most responsible that state house has been. Well, I, in our last thing we talk about, it would be remiss not to talk about the fact that a bunch of Missouri lawmakers got vaccinated yesterday. Uh, other news outlets have reported, like the Missouri Independent and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, that uh, Quaid sent out an email saying that he, she had heard that state employees could get vaccinated, including legislators and staff. So a bunch of lawmakers went to another building to get vaccinated. And then we're told like they they're not they're, right now in the tier list lawmakers and governmental officials. It's not their turn yet. I actually had an interesting discussion about this offline with somebody I could definitely see the argument that doing that is cutting in line and it's disrespectful to people who are at the front of the list, like, you know, elderly people or people with pre-existing conditions are healthcare workers. But I think that this discussion is more nuanced than that. First of all, a number of people in the front of the line are, are outright refusing to take the vaccine. Number two, I could also see the argument that people that are not currently in line right now have to be in public facing roles where they could get COVID. That could include like teachers, for example, at K through 12 or higher education institutions. It could also include prisoners who are under the care of the state right now. And the state is responsible for their well-being, but they're not getting vaccinated right now. I, I kind of see both sides of that argument. Like, I don't think you should cut in line, but I also think that the line itself has a lot of questions surrounding it. What was kind of your takeaway from this situation? Listen, I think the main takeaway is that um, the way we're vaccinating people is just, it's not working. Um, or the way that we're getting word out about who is next and the state's message about scheduling vaccine, it's just a mess. I mean, I'm reporting on this information with our health reporter, Sarah Fentum, and like, we don't know the answers to some of the questions that people ask us about can, where they can get the vaccine. Are they eligible to get the vaccine? And as I mentioned, the, the administration is holding these briefings with reporters. We had, we've had two so far and they are very helpful when we can have them, but are we really, I mean, yes, we were, we were one of the first states to get a vaccination plan sent to the federal government, but we are last in the nation in administer, in administering vaccines to our population. And this obvious confusion 
um, with House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid and possibly being able to get the vaccine. And I get why people are upset because, you know, their grandparents can't find a, a place to get a, a, an appointment to get them vaccinated. So yes, it's, it's horribly frustrating. And I'm right there with everyone um, trying to get information and trying to get a clear message. And it, it's just, it's, it, it just exacerbated some serious problems that we have at when those stories came out yesterday. And yeah, it, it's my takeaway is that it's frustrating. And I should just note that on Thursday afternoon, Governor Parson criticized the legislators who got the vaccines. Thank you, Jacqueline, for joining me on this program. And as always, you can find our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Jacqueline, how could people follow you on Twitter? Follow me at Driscoll NPR. Thank you very much. And until next time, so long.